Easy World. It's your man Ant Boogie. Don't worry about the name. Get used to the voice. It is another episode of Keeping the Towel. It is a new second. It's a new minute. It's a new hour. It's a new day. It's a new month. And with that new month comes another round in this fight called life. I thank you that you're here with me, but I am not alone in this fight today. I got a sparring partner who is going to be in the mix. So, ladies and gentlemen, the doors are officially open. Bring yourselves in all the way, hailing from the Buckeye State of Ohio. I'm telling you something about these Ohioans, man. I'm constantly getting them with me. I don't know what's going on. I think they just love me that, like that. But anyway, got my partner in all the way from Ohio. And as she comes in, I'm going to make sure that she gets her hands wrapped and she is ready to come out of her dressing room. So, as I said, hailing in from the Buckeye State of Ohio and a weight of none of your damn business, ladies and gentlemen, my girl, an incredible Miss Kristen Biggs. Kristen, are you in the building, my girl? I am, I am, I am. How you doing? Yeah, folks, she is here. And I'm she here. is in the here building. So let's go ahead and do it. So, Kristen, this is what I need you to do. Get your hands wrapped. Come out your dressing room. Get your gloves on. Get your mouthpiece in your mouth. Get your headgear on. And, ladies and gentlemen, you go ahead and grab a seat and get around the ring. Kristen Biggs and Aunt Boogie. And this sparring session has officially started. Let's get it. Let's go. Let's go. So, Kristen, let's go ahead and get this tape. We're going to put this cassette out. Put it in our Walkman. Get that ugly, nasty orange headset, that headphones we used to have back in the day. And we're going to rewind this back to 19... And let's go ahead and tell us about the genesis of Miss Kristen Biggs. Born and raised in Youngstown, Ohio. Yeah. 1986. Yes, yes. 80s, baby. Yes, 80s, baby. That mid-late 80 baby. But um, I'm a Virgo, you know, same birthday as Beyonce, the legendary, you know. <laughs> but yeah, so born in the 80s, Youngstown, Ohio. So a beautiful mom, you know, raised me very, very well. And just like anybody else, they have a journey, they have a story, they have something that happened in this thing called life. I would just take you back just a, you know, just a few years ago, almost four years ago, July of 2019, my husband, um, he was murdered. So this is where this journey of um, Kristen Biggs started um, with Release and Unleashed and who I am today. <laughs> I mean, well, who I'm becoming and who I am, really. My husband, like I said, he was murdered uh, three days before our son's 15th birthday. When my husband passed away, when he was murdered, I had started uh, writing. And my best friend was like, you need to like release your thoughts because you could possibly help somebody. And I've always had a voice, even from a young girl, teenage, 20s. I'm 36. I'll be 37 in a few months. Lord bless, you know, Lord willing. But I've always had a voice, you know. So when my husband passed away, I had wrote a book called Release and Unleash Through Grief in hopes to help one person who's going through this thing called life to see that no matter what we go through in life, we still have to basically regain that self-love we have to learn to we have to learn our learn to love ourselves on different levels because one I lost my husband two we had two sons together and I knew that they needed me on a different level 
and I needed myself on a different level as well because when you lose your partner when you lose and you go through a thing called life sometimes pieces start coming off of you I lost myself in the midst of losing my husband and I'm not gonna lie when I went in when he passed away I was a little mad at God because I'm like wait a minute we just had another baby. My son was uh, 13. Like I said, he was turning 14. I mean, 15. My oldest, he was turning 15 years old, three days before my husband passed. So he was 14. And our baby wasn't even two. So when he passed away, it was like, hold up. I did not wait 13 years to have another baby. Then he just, you know, his father just get ripped from his life like that. But I started writing and I started digging deeper with God and just within myself and everything. So within eight months, I had wrote a book. Like I said, in hopes to help somebody just to see that life is going to happen. But what we do when life happens defines who we are as humans, as people, as mothers, as fathers, as whoever we are, siblings, however. I had wanted to like just show my son that, you know, we had to get through this trial together and, you know, we have to continue to push and rise above because... I kind of always say, what I always say is, I would rather rise above than fall below. And in life, you know, you will fall, you know what I mean? But you got to get back up. That's the key, getting back up. But I like to rise above. And so I wanted to, you know, continue to push my son and everything. And two years and five days after my husband was murdered, one day after my son's 17th birthday, my son was murdered. Life happened again. And like I say, life will life. You know what I mean? Life will life. So when I see my son land there and I'm like, what the heck? Okay, like I'm devastated again, like all over because you got to think, well, my oldest, I mean, my oldest son and my husband, they share the same name. So I'm like, okay, you have that legacy. You have to carry on that name. And, you know, we you have to do great things in honor of your, of your father. But, you know, for you too. And they just took that away from me again. I didn't go in angry at God, but I was like, you know, the devil is very, very busy. And that thing, you know, it loves confusion. It loves to cause havoc in your life. And I said, I'm not mad at God. I'm not. I know I had to lean on God, like on a whole different level, okay? Like, hold up, God, I need you again. And I still need him. Even on my good days, I still need him because I'm like, hey, you know, any day or any phase that I'm in, I always need God. But I'm like, I need you. I knew that I needed God. It's like I started speaking to kids because at that point when my husband passed, I was speaking to parents on grief and then COVID had struck. So I'm speaking to them on COVID, writing my book, trying to create programs to, to allow people to see that they're not alone. So when my, when my son just had got murdered, I'm like, okay, God, what are you telling me? It's about gun violence awareness, peer pressure, you know, smoking, things that I know when I grew up, it had, um, it was going on. And not only that, it's still going on and it's worse than ever. And my goal is to save a parent, to save a kid, to save a kid, to save a parent. When we lose our kids, we lose ourselves. And on a whole different level. I didn't have like my husband to lean on when my husband passed away. Like I had my son, you know, he was he was 15, he turned 15 and we, you know, we were kind of each other's strength a little bit, if to, so to speak. Then I lost him. So I was like, okay, my son, he wasn't even four. He had just turned, I mean, he was three now. So within his whole little three years of life, he's lost the two men that loved him the most. So my journey now is a little different. Like I, like I said, I speak to a diverse crowd because one, life has happened to me in of many different angles. My goal and my mission is just to help people in life to see that life is going to happen to you. And you have to have the willpower 
to understand when the unforeseen situations occur. And I'm not even talking about like losing like a life, but sometimes people lose a job. Sometimes divorce happens. Sometimes you might lose a car, you know, lose a job, lose a pet. And then the most times I feel like we lose ourselves. And sometimes we grieve ourselves. But we have to have the willpower to not allow that to overtake our mind. But we have to have the mindset to know that when when it's time to shift our mindset, when going through life, because what I've seen a lot of people commit suicide when they lose their husband, commit suicide when they lose their child because they feel they have nothing else to live for. They have nothing else to to even look forward to in life. And I'm that parent that in that wife that seen that part of that side. And many a days I wake up, I'm like, I do not want to live. I got to get up and live a life without the two people that I never ever envisioned losing. And it's hard. It's, it's a difficult, difficult trial. It's a difficult situation to be in. But I get out the bed every day. I do my best. I work on my mental fitness. I read affirmations. I read my devotionals. I read my scriptures every day. I walk my dogs. I still have my five-year-old son that needs me more than ever. And then I have people like, okay, well, I lost all my kids. You still have yourself. You still have you. At the end of the day, every day we look up and we look in the mirror. It starts with you and it ends with you. So I do my best to just pass on the message to let people know you have to push. You have to pray and understand what happens. And it might sound harsh, like, oh, okay. But I'm living a life to say that. So I feel like I could say that statement. My husband was murdered July 14, 2019. My first cousin, he was my brother. He was murdered October 2020. And then I lost my son. They pronounced him gone July 19, 2021. And then last year in July, the police shot my first cousin. That was my mom's niece. And in August, they pronounced her gone. I understand losses. My uncle, he just passed away. He was older. So I understand when people lose older people. I'm not saying that it's okay because it's not. But what I'm saying is staying stagnant in your grief. It's essential that we don't. And I'm not telling anybody to, to rush their grief process. This is me grieving. This is how my grief looks like. But I want you to stay afloat as much as you can because staying stagnant in your grief, you drown. And we, we're, we're walking and it's, it's suffocating us. And it's allowing us not to be able to live. I'm a woman who lost her whole family and I'm still doing my best to live as much as I possibly can because I still have breath in me. And I feel like I don't want to live in the worst stage of my life. I would rather live in the best version of my life. All right. So, Kristen, take me back into the home. When Kristen was this little girl, life was kind of innocent. What was life like in the home for Kristen growing up? So I grew up with my mom and um, I never had my biological father in the house with me. We I never lived with him in the house growing up. I always had myself and my mom. And then when I was nine, my mom, she had my younger brother. But before our, my brother, my younger brother came in my life, my father, he had got on drugs very badly. And he moved to the West Coast. He was on drugs and everything out there. So before he got on drugs, he was actually selling drugs. You know, typical Youngstown family. Not typical, but where I'm from. Mm -hmm. You know, somebody selling drugs, somebody on drugs, somebody overcoming drugs. But my dad, he, he was, you know, he was selling drugs when I was growing up and then he got on drugs. And at the age of nine, he left. And I had my older brother who I grew up with. We were seven years apart. And at the age of 17, he went to jail for 33 years of life. And he's actually still in jail. So at the age of nine, I lost the two men that I grew up kind of with. 
to drugs and to jail. But I also always had a stepfather. I don't even call him my stepfather because I call him my dad. He always had been in my life, like my whole life. So even when him and my mom broke up, that was my family. So I kind of always felt like I didn't miss out on anything because I always had another family. And I grew up a Jehovah Witness. So by the age of four, I was a Jehovah Witness. So I didn't have holidays and Christmases and birthdays. My last birthday party, I was four years old and my mom converted over to Jehovah Witness. My dad's side, they would come get me and I would go to Virginia with them and and have my life with them. You know what I mean? I was always a blessed young girl, like spoiled. I got any and everything that I wanted, but the most important thing that I feel I got was love. And even though my dad was on, on drugs and I would hear from him on and off, when I got to a teenage, like, you know, he would be like, oh, I'm gonna send for you to come. I'm like, okay. So that's when expectations was like, yeah, you can't really lean on expectations because he was saying I have my suitcase packed. And I remember writing in my journal, like my dad was supposed to come get me, but he didn't. But about 15 or so, you no, know, hey, you know, I was on drugs and my mom like, why would you tell her that? So he kind of, he didn't hide anything from me, but at an age that he felt like I was able to know, he let me know. My mom never kept me from him and I respect her for that. And she never talked bad about my dad. And I would go see him like every summer once I got to a certain age. He lived in Vegas. So I always call like that my second home too, because I always went like every year. And, um, and then when my husband passed, he had kind of got like nuts. I mean, well, he kind of got sick, his diabetes and blood pressure and everything like that. So I brought him in my home and started taking care of him. And when my son was murdered, the day that my we went to the hospital that day, I didn't realize, but they had said my dad had, had a stroke. But I didn't know because I'm in the room with my son he declined a little bit he kind of tried to recover back from the stroke and everything like that and he was already like going through like physical things as far as like his health and everything right. but, um once my son had passed away i left and he's um now in a nursing home but i couldn't bring him where i was because i really had to focus on myself and my son and i know he was in and out of the hospitals and i didn't have anybody here to help me with my son and I want anybody to know, like, if you're going through any trials, you have to take care of yourself. You know, don't worry about what anybody say, oh, you're leaving this person behind, or you're, you have to work on yourself. Yeah. When my son passed and after I left, I told everybody I needed 60 days just to get myself together, to spend that time with my child that I had left. And I didn't answer the phone for people. I needed to work on myself. I spoke to my mom. And then that's when I started my podcast called I Am, which is called Release and Unleash. Now, I just started speaking because I knew I wasn't communicating with my family as much. And it wasn't anything toward them. It was everything about myself. So when you're going through life and life is happening to you, be okay with giving yourself time to, to grieve, time to confront your grief, time for yourself. Be okay with whoever cannot understand that removing them out of your life. If they can't understand that you're going through the most traumatic thing that you feel it is at that time, it's okay with letting them go because you're not you're not respecting my journey. I'm grateful to have people that did understand that. And you're gonna go through betrayal. You're gonna go through people who just don't care. And you have to be okay with that too. Your journey is not their journey. So Kristen, say you had brought your pops in your home. During that time while he was in the home with you, were there moments that you you had to face some things? You and him had to face some things from the past? Or was it just like, hey, you're here, I'm here? Did you yeah, did you two have yeah. those moments? 
it was all love. No, no. Like, when people do stuff to me, I forgive them at that moment. My dad was who he was. Like I said, he always was in my life. He just got on drugs and left. And I might not hear from him for a few years or something, but he still did what he could. I don't hold any grudge. My father missed every important thing in my life. But I forgave him for that. You know, I'm not going to hold him accountable for when he wasn't even in his right space. I could, but I don't. I know, you know, like I told him, I mean, I was honest, like you weren't the best dad, but you were the dad that you knew you could be for me. And I still loved him. I still were there for him. I don't hold any, I'm not holding any, any of that to him, toward him. For what? You know what I mean? I'm not that type of person. I love my dad and I always, and we always expressed our love for one another. And, and I love him. I'm not mad. Like I said, I don't. I still feel like I hadn't missed anything. You know what I mean? I was blessed with another dad. But even if I wasn't, I don't hold any of that. I'm not like, oh, you missed every important thing. He know what he did. But when my wedding came, he made sure he was there. But I had my other dad there as well. And he. I remember him like, oh, no, I want to be. I said, listen, you won't be in my wedding. My dad never missed anything in my life. If you want to be a part of this, this is how it goes. I'm always upfront and honest, but nobody can't dictate how my life gonna, is going to go either. I'm a woman. I have a voice and I speak it. And I've always been an honored by dad still. I make sure my dad is okay. And I have a great support system back home. And my mom and her husband helps him to this day. I love my dad. Anybody that does anything to me, I forgive them at that moment. And I may not hear from them, but I let it go. So, Kristen, as you grew into a teenager, you, as you said, had your stepdad who you just looked at as dad. And you were living normal life as a teenager. What was that like for Kristen in her teenage years? Oh, my teenage years now. (laughs) Now, your girl was a little off the hook a little bit. (laughs) Now, I mean, I I had a good childhood, good teenage year. Like I say, me and my husband, we were always together on and off from like 12 to 32. So you've known him since you was 12 years old? Yeah, we met in 73. And then we started at the age of 14. Like I say, you know, that's my story. I don't condone these teenagers to be doing anything like that. But that was my story. And then we had our son at 17. But, um, yeah, I was fighting over him. I was that girl. And I was always in fights. We had our crew, South Side versus this side and things like that. And I remember being 16 years old, coming to a fight, and I got stabbed in my head. And literally, it was one inch from my temple. They stabbed me in my head and in my back. And I remember being on the ambulance like, am I going to die? I literally asked, am I going to die? And I remember the lady, because the blood was gushing out like a like a water fountain. If you could look at a water fountain, when I got stabbed in my head, I remember them like holding it. It was just gushing out. I'm fighting and I see blood. And I remember telling my, telling the person who was next to me, I'm like, man, somebody bleeding. And she like, oh my God, it's you. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my God. And I feel, and it's a big slit in my head. Mm. I'm bleeding. I just remember like, don't call my mom. Because I wasn't supposed to go, <laughs> but I did not want her to know like what happened. But they was like, I'm like, man, so they could get the ambulance. And literally, I literally asked, am I going to die? And they said, well, no, I said, you don't have to lie. You could be honest. They said, you're losing a lot of blood. And I remember looking out that door when I got to the hospital and I see my mom. And I'm like, oh, my God. And I had so many stitches in the inside of my head and in the outside. And they had to shave my head. It's like nowadays things are different. You just getting killed. You getting yeah. shot. You don't yeah. even have to fight. You can't, you, and, you know. And then that next year, I mean, not even that next year, like coming into that year, that's when I got pregnant with my son, Shadi, at 17. And I tell people all the time, my brother went to jail at 17 for life. 
I had my son at 17 and then I lost my son at 17. Wow. He wasn't even 17 for 24 hours. Kristen, as you grew from your teenage years, Kristen as a young adult in her 20s phase, who's Kristen at this moment? At that moment, I'm still trying to learn life. You know, I started my own company, Gifts from a Virgo, and I'm still fighting over my baby dad slash boyfriend slash man. <laughs> and I mean, we went through a lot of things in life. Like we, I'm not like, when I say we had like a, a toxic relationship, not nothing that I'm proud of, but something that I can speak on. And when I speak to women, I let them know you have to know your self-worth. At that time, I didn't know my self-worth. And my mom used to say, when you love yourself enough, you would know. And I'm like, I love myself, mom. You know, your parents can't tell you anything. And, and I'm like, I love myself. I know I love myself, but from a teenage Kristen to a 20-year-old Kristen to a 36-year-old Kristen, I now understand. And I say that now, like if I ever get with somebody, if they even utter a bit, mm. I'm done. And people are like, you gotta get people chances. Like one, that's your chance. Your chance is to know that you cannot mess up with me as far as disrespecting me. I'm not going through emotional, mental, physical, psychological, sexual. I'm not going through any type of abuse in my life. I'm not, I was a toxic person too. Like I, at twenties, I was toxic. At 15, I literally probably first hit my, my boyfriend at that time, which was him in the face. You know what I mean? I didn't know like, so, and then he hit me and that was on a thing of starting a whole abusive relationship. But I did not know that that was not what we were supposed to do because this was our whole life on and off. You know what I mean? And then at the point when I got to, in my twenties, literally we're, we're still fighting. We're, we're going through things. You know what I mean? I mean, it's weapons being pulled out. It's all of that. My husband was in the streets, boyfriend, man. You know what I mean? Then he got into real estate. Then he started doing music. You know what I mean? So we started elevating during our twenties to our thirties. You know what I mean? But in that process, like I said, I had my own candle company. I became an entrepreneur because I knew I wanted more for my son in my life. We started, um, I started that and it started booming. I'm in the articles, I'm being featured and I'm having celebrities get my candles and I'm traveling all over the world with my son by myself, you know, to spread the uh, word of my candles and everything. So I've always had a mentality of wanting more I've always had the mentality of knowing how to hustle. I've always had the mentality of knowing that no matter what I'm going through, I have to do better for myself. So in my 20s, yeah, it was a little toxic. It was a lot of, I'm starting my own business and I'm doing me, raising my son. And um, I was a single mom because we weren't in the same household all the time, but he still had a father. And then in my, when 29, that's when we like, hey, we're gonna do this. You know, we going through the things in our relationship. You know, he talking to somebody, I'm talking to somebody, you know, and it's like, no, I want to be with you. And I'm like, okay, we're going to do this, you know? So on my 30th birthday, we got married. We did the thing. Wow. But in marriages, you still go through things. And we were still going through things because one, I'm 30, he just he, uh, was 31, we nine years, nine months apart. But you don't understand the concept of marriage sometimes either because you still, it's still new. It's a, it's like, it's something that, you know, when you grow something, it's like, okay, this is new. We still didn't grasp that either to full, you know, to full, you know, mental capacity. So we still was going through things on and off and then it's like, we get back, but this is what, this was our life. And that's why I say I've lived the life of a 99 year old woman because I've been through so many different things from 12, even as a young kid. But, and I would tell him like, listen, I'm not about to be arguing and things like that. I'm like, hey, I can't afford that in my life and stuff. Cause I'm growing, I'm growing. But men sometimes take a little longer, oh, you, you know, to grow and they like, oh, now you're this. It's like, no, I don't want that. Well, I didn't get married for that. 
But again, it wasn't just him. It was me too, because I still have my little toxic traits in me because when you, you know, when you going for toxic for toxic, it's nobody breaking that toxic. Right. So then we had him on. And then I went through postpartum depression to the point where I'm calling adoption agencies like, I can't do this. And and I'm like, what the heck? And I got my son and his daughter like calling him like, dad, like you got to come to the house because Kristen, you know, my mom, mom going through, you know, and I'm just, I'm not even knowing that it's postpartum depression. Kristen, let's get it right there. You find out you're pregnant with this little baby and because you're a baby yourself and then you give birth. But when I got married, I didn't know that I was pregnant and I had a miscarriage. So you had a miscarriage. After we got married. Really? Mm-hmm. Wow. You deal with the miscarriage, then got pregnant again. You got pregnant again. Here with me now. And so you have Rashad. This your first your first one. Give birth. He comes out. What was it like to be a mom and watch this kid start to grow in front of you? Oh, it was amazing. He was such an amazing kid. Like just overall, like very mannerable, respectful, most beautiful smile. Just taught like just so he was born actually with twelve fingers. So people used to be like, "What?" And then he always had these. And it's crazy because at, when he was like fourteen, he had got it was like because the, the the nub on his finger it would when he's playing basketball or something it would always met, like it would start bleeding or anything. The next thing you know, I was like, I took, took him to have it all the way like removed because what they do is they tie it. And they stop the blood circulation. Then it just falls off. Mm. But it leaves a little nub. But he was just amazing. So talented. Like the most talented. I'm like, you're going to make it. Like, I'm like, I was seeing plan and I'd come down to the court, give him a hug. Like, I'd be having tears in my eyes because he was just so talented. And I mean, in every, he excelled in every sport. I mean, it's just something like, I'm like, I would record him and come home and like, let's go over what you did and how you didn't make this. Or, and I'll get up in the morning at six o'clock in the morning, go to the YMCA or get up and go to the park and record and take them in so we could do his rebounds and things. I mean, so mannerable, so loving, so giving. I mean, I know it's no perfect child or no perfect human, but he was, if it was something perfect, he was close to it. I mean, he was a phenomenal kid, cared about his hygiene, like had, you know, had his girlfriend. I loved her, you know, and, you know, then the girls start trying to come and, you know, things like that. And to take a life and it's like, it's horrible because it's like, I worked so hard. You know, I had him and we lived in a suburb. So he went to Boardman and like, you know, the high school. Then when his father passed and we moved, I got him into a Catholic school, you know, because I still, you know, I, I did everything that I could and for a parent to not do the lifestyle that, that the devil's advocate lived to come and just take everything from you is heartbreaking because it's like, he was everything. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? And he was so loved and he knew that he was loved. And it's so easy to to get sucked into this society and these rap music and things like that. And I spoke life into him. I told him how great he was. I told him how loved he was. I gave him hugs every day, kisses every day on his cheek. I cooked for him. I, he was just he was he was a phenomenal, amazing, loving. He was he was everything that a mother could ask for. Kristen, to get word that your husband was shot, take me back to that day. I was like, most is is it's something that you really don't even think that's gonna happen. He had just left. Like say he's going out. He had to go to he had to go turn himself in the next day. You know what I mean? So when something like that happens, you like, wait, what? They kept postponing it. And then it's like, oh, I'm like, okay. And he just had told me, he said, man, he was he was actually happy because when he got got done with the CCA, he was gonna be able to be on house arrest. 
And he like, God knows I need to sit down. Those was his, that's what he told me. He said, God knows I need to sit down. And before all of that, he was texting me like, you know, like since he sent me a song, just be good to me. And we, you know, like, and, and I'm like, all right, well do what you gotta do then. You need to do right, you know what I'm saying? And so, and just, I never forget that. And I remember like days before everything happened, I was sending him a song called Tender Kisses by, by Tracy Spencer, yep. I think. And um, that day he came, brought him all back, our baby. And he had peed on himself because they was riding around and I was washing them off. And he said he'd be back. And then I got that call at three o'clock in the morning from his best friend and like, you know, Big Shaw got shot. And I was like, what? Huh? And I remember screaming, like calling my oldest son, like, shoddy, shoddy, you know, your dad just got shot. And then we driving in a car and my son just praying and I'm praying. I call my mom. And when we get there, he, they already got him in the ambulance or whatever. And um, when we got there to the hospital, he was like on the stretcher. So I'm thinking that he was okay. But in reality, he wasn't. So that's just a hard pill to swallow, like having to pull a plug on your husband. And then two years later, your son and they're across from rooms the room where my husband was and now my son in this room wow it's just a hard thing it's, yeah. it's a hard 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 pill i still haven't swallowed it yeah it's, it's just a difficult thing when you have to make a decision and there's nothing else that you could do so Krista, that part when you had to pull the plug and of course i believe your son's a teenager at this point explaining this to him what was that process like explaining everything to your firstborn dad's gone he was in the room so at that time i don't think people understand like your mind really is not there even though it looked like i was there you like what and he wanted to be in a room because when i was like well because one i didn't even know what he was gonna what he looked like when i went in the room i didn't know any of that i just knew he was back there so i didn't we didn't know we went back there because they're like oh he's back in the room i'm like oh well we want to see him i didn't know Severe. I really still didn't know, even though I talked to the doctors and I still was kind of like trying to grasp everything. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't that type of talk like, hey, you, you know, they were there. He was there right there. You know what I mean? So it was just basically you me how like, you know, how they say it's a grieving the, the like with grief, you know, it's the accepting it's the, you know, I accept everything when it happened that day. Like, it's like, I know I can never call him again. I know even when it happened to my son at that moment, I knew my son was gone. You get what I mean? I knew. It wasn't like, oh, no, this thing. It was like, what? Mm. Like, I asked the same question I asked for my husband. Is there a 1% chance? Right. Is there anything? You know what I mean? The same questions I had to do for my husband, I had to do for my son. And it's still the hardest two decisions that I ever had to make. And it's still the hardest two. It's just the hardest things in America, like I, in the whole wide world that I ever had to deal with and that I'm dealing with. You know what I'm saying? Like getting that call. Like you like what well, he just left from bringing me honey buns. So let's go to that one. The day with your, with Rashad. Take us into that day. Yeah, it was like the week of his um, father passing and his birthday was the day before that. So he had went past his goddess. He said somebody was cooking. So I was like, okay, you know, go. And then I, he, I went to the store and I was like, grab me a honey bun or whatever. And then he came in. He said he was going to be back. I'm like, don't be too late. Cause, cause he had totaled his car like months before that. And my mom had gave her, gave him her Audi. And but she needed to use it because her car had to go somewhere. So I'm like, Nana's gonna be coming. You know, you gotta go to Nana's. She, she gonna bring you home. So, and I didn't let him be out too late anyway. But it was like ten o'clock. So or nine. He just had left back out like not even an hour. And I remember 
Ahmad was on my phone using my phone and I hear somebody screaming and I pick up the phone and they like somebody shot shoddy and I was like what and I just remember running I don't even know if I had shoes on and I remember Ma like Ma like trying to and I'm like I grab him and I go and when I get there my my baby just laying there and I'm just screaming and I'm like so wait he wasn't too far from the crib so the craziest thing is him and his dad was like murdered on the same street like it was like literally through the past. He was his, his my husband was murdered in front of his best friend's house, and that's where my son was at because it was the week of everything. It was the week of you know his past, and he he said he was going to get something to eat. Wow. So he got pretty much on the same street. So it's like literally like five streets down. Now when, when my husband passed away, we lived in the suburbs, so it was like a 10, 15 minute drive. Like which is in part because our city's so small, but where I lived at then it was like only like six streets up. Yeah. So when I got there, he was just laying there. And um, yeah, so when I got there, he was just laying there. And then I, they took him to the hospital. And then I was trying to see what they could do. And this time it was just me and my mom in the room. Mm. And there was COVID around that time still. So people couldn't come in the hospital and things like that. And um, I remember my mom asked me, did I want anybody in the room? And I was like, no, because I knew how traumatic that was for my son one after that happened to my husband. Not only that, pulling a plug and just even like me seeing my son laying there, hearing somebody say like, put a cover over him, like his mother is standing right there. It, it, it wasn't not only that it was, I just didn't, I knew how it was. There was so many people in the room with my husband and it was people that did not care. And I had to put people out, like it's time for y'all to get out. You know what I mean? I'm looking at my, my cousin-in-law like, they gotta go because it's like, this is serious. Like, you know what I mean? It's not for everybody to see. So. For my son, it was just my mom and my eye in the room. And I remember they was like, when they told me that there was not anything else that they could do. Mm. And I just remember like giving them a kiss and everything like that. And I would do that with my husband too. Like when everybody, you know, left out the room, I just kiss him and I'm like, gosh, like just breaking down. And then when people come back in, I just sit up or I just sit back in a chair, like, you know, let them get they, you know, they time and stuff like that. But it was just like really, a, it's a traumatic experience for me because you never forget it. And then that's when they came in a room and they told me that it wasn't anything else that I could do for my son. And I asked the same question. I'm like, is there like 1% chance? And he was like, no. And then at that time, I think he started bleeding internally or something. I can't fully, fully remember. I remember asking, can I get the like his last thing of his heartbeats? Because I remember again, like when you never been through something and then I was like, can I get that? Because I wasn't able to get that for my husband because I, of course, you're not thinking about that, so to speak. But I remember because they asked me after that, like, did you get it? Because they wanted to probably get it, like, you know, tattooed or something like that. And I'm like, oh, I wasn't thinking. But I know with my with my um, son, I just remember, like, because y'all just, you know, please just hurry up and just, you know, take him out the room because it's just hard waiting and knowing that, you know, he's gone. And then I remember calling my best uh, my best friend because, you know, and I was he he um, worked at a funeral home, and I was like, you know, could y'all just please try to just come get him as soon as possible? I don't want him in his morgue like that. And I'm just like crying to my mom, like, what am I gonna do? Like, I can't live without, you know, this, these was my shots. Like they both was, you know what I mean? We grew up together our whole life, me and Big Shot and then me and Little Shot, you know what I mean? So we grew up together our whole life. And I just knew it that I can't even remember what time it was, but it was after 12 o'clock. So that's why they said he was gone on the 19th. But I just remember walking out and I'm just like, my life is gone. <laughs> like that was, they, those were like, 
you know, like they your life, you know, regardless of what you go through. And they, you know, people are like, oh, I remember he ran away. They talk about, I'm like, run away. Like, imagine losing your father and, you know, you going through teenage life and you don't have no role models. Nobody actually really fully being there for you. Cause when your life stopped, everybody keep going and everybody, you know, oh, I got kids too. I got stuff to do. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. So, you know, he felt alone in his world, even though he knew he had me. You know, I had him, get, I was getting him counseling and everything. I was doing, you know, my part. Right. And, you know, I just wanted him to rise above it and everything. And I just hate that. That happened to the both of them. It's a very, very unreal. And it's still crazy to me because it'd be like, wait a minute. Like, both of them, like, not even a week apart. Like, so I call it the week of everything because within a whole week of my life has changed and I have to live through it. So I'm like, maybe that was God. Like, you know what? He knows everything that's planned. But how I look at it, like, just go through it all in a week. You know what I mean? Like, Get it out your system, you know. I mean, not out your system, but you know, you go out. You know, it's a week. It's just everything. It's 14th, the 17th, the 18th, and the 19th. So, and then the weeks to come is when I had to lay down the rest, and I don't even remember the dates of that at all. Like I don't. And to this day, I don't. Like you, I don't know the dates of the services or anything. Wow. And I did the eulogy on both of them. It kind of turned into a eulogy for my husband, but who knew him best? But me, you know what I mean? Like, and my son too. Like I knew him best. Like had he had a wife and kids and stuff, they probably wouldn't know him best, but like I, he didn't get that. I do my best to keep going. And and, and I, and like I said, I do my best and I let God handle the rest. I stay headstrong as far as like keeping God first in my life. And my 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 five year old now like if I'm down I kind of feel like he feels my energy he was like moms do your deep breaths let's stretch he meditates he is so aware you know and it's hurtful like to see like he don't even understand I mean he understands and he I don't want to get older because I don't want to be shot I don't want to have to die like my dad and shoddy or why do they have to do this to my dad and shoddy you know what I mean a five year old shouldn't have to be like that a five year old shouldn't have to say when we got to go to our hometown. I don't want to go there because they shoot too much and they kill my daddy and shot him. He shouldn't have to live a life like that. So how do you navigate him through that when he says things like that? I just speak to him and I tell him, you know, like when he's like, I don't want to grow up. I'm like, they're not going to do that to you. You know what I mean? Like those were the devil advocates, the devil, you know, cause he said, who did that to shoddy? Who did that? The devil, the devil and the devil advocates. I say the devil advocates, you know? And, um, I just tell him like we gotta keep working on ourselves and everything. And he's he's right here. He say hello, Ahmad. Hello. What's, What's up, my name? man? Ahmad. And what do I call you? My shoddy. Cause his name is Ahmad Rashad. So Ahmad Rashad Biggs. So how do you feel, Madi, about this whole thing like losing your dad and your brother? So very, very sad. Because I don't know what I did to that to my daddy and, and, and my brothers. I really don't know when I grow up bigger because I think they're trying to do it to me whenever I'm here alone. So who do you have? You and me. And who else? And God. Yep. Yeah, so I try to instill God in him and for him to know that, you know, God is is our main source and things happen but you know we have one another and we're gonna get through it together you know and he has videos of his dad and i just you know showed him his dad has music sometimes when we're playing the music i sometimes skip it like i don't like to look at videos all the time of shoddy or big shot i don't look at the pictures all day 
And my husband, he had his own music. I don't listen to it all day because sometimes it's hurtful to hear the voice because it's like, dang, they not here. But what's important, he he sees them. If he sees his dad on there, sometimes it'd be Tupac. And he's like, is that my dad? Like when he, like a couple years ago. And I'm like, no, that's Tupac and my husband resemble a lot. But I say that to say, when he hear his dad music, he listens. He's like, when I get older, I'm gonna listen to my dad music. And that's good that he has that because he'll have that forever. He has videos, so I put that on his phone of him and his dad, his dad showing him like playing basketball with him and things like that. So, you know, I wait to certain times of in both of our lives. Yo, Kristen, um, going through all that and after dealing with that, you have your podcast, Release and Unleash, and you have an episode on there called the accusations and it was like listening to a diary and i don't know that one resonated with me um Mm. with the accusations because you said that you had to deal with people who would say some wrong stuff about your your late husband and late son and even yourself Kristen, to release that what was that like when you're hearing people who don't know the full situation of what your family dealt with in your home but they have the nerve to go and say some other things about these two gentlemen yeah so it's, it's like this and that's why I spoke on it because what happens is people like I'm very vocal when my husband passed I wrote a book they like oh she's not grieving so she must have had something to do with it and it's like first of all no matter what wait wait, wait 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 pause 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 when you put out your books, they felt that you had something to do with your husband's passing? Oh, I mean, yeah, his family would say really cruel things. Yo. And they would post it on the thing, like on social media. And I would have people talking about, oh, they're going to do this to me. And I would have to go in people's inbox like, y'all going to do what to who? And they don't, they like, who are you? I'm like, I'm Rashad's wife. You know what I mean? Like, y'all don't even know who y'all speaking on. And out of people's ignorance or like, oh, she didn't give me the ashes. And it's like, come on now, we already had a discussion. Like you wanted all of them when we said, we talked, I wanted to put ashes in, in his children's necklaces. And it's like, you, I feel like I should have them all because I'm the mom. And it's like, once he got married, he became, you know, we became one. Right. But it's a lot of things like, I mean, just like accusations because they like, oh, it was infidelity in a marriage and like this is and that. But I'm like, listen, no man, no human on this earth would ever be that important to me to ever want anything. You know what I mean? To um to want that. You know what I mean? But so when I write a book, anything I did, I take a picture in my husband's clothes like, hey, I feel like walking here something. Oh, she see she had something to do. It was like anything that I did. It was like she's guilty or something like that and it's like come on now like y'all I have a voice that's one two you can't you 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 can't try to you, they try to crucify me and bring break me down to everything like with my son like you know what I mean like oh I didn't put certain people in the obituary but I'm a realist I'm not gonna put people who did not acknowledge my son when he was here his birthday was the day before but as soon as the article come out that he passed away, it's all, all over the Facebook. But my son has been in the article for basketball for years, for football, for his sports. People don't post that. But then as soon as he passed away, that y'all want recognition. I'm a realist and I'm his mother and I know what's best for him. And I know how people made him feel after his father passed and the love that he wanted from people and they wouldn't give it. So why would I give that to somebody 
at the time when my son passed. So I got ridiculed for that. The day I'm, my son's, I'm burying my son, they're tagging me on Facebook. You're trash. You didn't put people in obituary. You're this, you're that. And then that, that, that. So I made, I went Facebook live when I, when mentally I got a little bit better. And it was probably like a month or so after. And I said, this isn't for, this is for somebody who possibly could have been on their phone at that time and getting notifications saying you're trash, you're this, and at the lowest point in your life. And this is why I speak because one, it's somebody out there who been accused of something or been trying to, I mean, been crucified because they didn't do something that people wanted them to do. And they wouldn't have probably killed themselves. Mm-hmm. I speak for the people who don't know how to react and only know how to, their only reaction is, you know what, well, I gotta end my life because I, I, I'm this because this happened. No, that's who they are. They are showing their true character. You know what I mean? And that's why I said that. That's why when people posted again, like, oh, yeah, his wife had it. I'm like, okay, at this point, I'm his wife. You know what I mean? They're people, they probably look into that, but my husband, you know, he was in the streets and stuff. And not only that, y'all, y'all need to find another narrative. You know what I mean? Like, okay, just because I don't look like I'm grieving because I'm posting or because I'm doing my best to to get through these life's trials. That doesn't, you know what I mean? Y'all don't, y'all don't have a right, but y'all are free to do whatever y'all want. But y'all slandering my name, y'all doing X, Y, and Z, and it's like I have a voice. Like now, I'm gonna speak on this. Like quit playing with me. You know what I mean? Like, like I don't give a dang what me and my husband went through. It never was that bad. And it, and some people might have felt like it was that bad. You know what I mean? Because it's somebody who, like, even what I'm going through. Like I say, losing both of them, and I lost my cousin. Still in the midst of that too would probably have done way worse. Probably would have got on drugs. Probably would have did. I don't know. I haven't done that. Like when my when I when my husband passed, I didn't go drinking. I probably had a couple shots and my best friend birthday, I got intoxicated. And I embarrassed myself. My son had to come get me. Mm. When my son passed, I didn't have one drink. And I remember my one best friend like, girl, she had a whole bottle of Patron and she like, you're not gonna drink anything? I said no because I don't want anything to, to lower my mental status. I'm already at my weakest. I don't want anything to alter my mental state to a lower state of mind because I knew what it did when I when I drunk that one time. And it wasn't that I was drinking because of my husband. I was just having trying to have a good, you know, like embracing my best friend's birthday. But what I knew at that time, when that happened to my son, I'm not drinking. I'm not doing anything that will alter my mental state. And like this year I decided, okay, I'll have a little drink or something, but it's not because of my trials. I, you know, I might have a drink, you know, have a little get together, have a drink, but it's not because of my trials. So I don't do anything that's going to, to bring me to a, to a, to a worse state of me. You know what I mean? Like when you're going through what I'm going through, you're at your weakness, you're at your lowest, you're nowhere where you need to be. So I don't do anything that's going to do that for my mind, my body, or my spirit. That's what's up. And I don't let anybody who's speaking negative on me, I don't let all that to get to me either. Kristen Biggs, why do you keep your towel? I keep my towel because I'm not throwing it in. I, I'm not giving up. I'm not, you know, only, I feel like only time you give up, only time you fail in life is when you give up. I'm going to continue to do my best because one, I have me, I have my son, and I have my spirits. And those are my, that's my husband, that's my, even when my cousin passed away, I opened up a building and I was opening it up for him. Because I'm like, I was opening it up, I'm like, okay, this is for you. You know what I mean? When my husband passed, I wrote a book, then I wrote a journal, then I started a nonprofit organization. 
Now when my son passed, I started a program called Black Women Heal because I'm not the only mother that lost a child. I'm not the only woman that lost a husband. I want us to be able to grow from one another. I create programs and I, so that people can have a safe haven to come to, to just release their thoughts, release their emotions. They're not judged. They're not being ridiculed or they're not like, oh, this girl posting this again. This is our safe haven. So I do, I'm doing the work. So when people are like, oh, you have to, you know, you got to be healed to speak or you can't speak unless you're at this epitome of your life. No, God purposely gave me a purpose. I accidentally fell into real estate when my husband passed because I took over his property. Now I started investing in that. I accidentally started speaking, but God purposely gave me this purpose because I'm going to be able to help one person along my journey. So that's why I'm not throwing the towel in. Because there's no, if I haven't threw the towel in when my husband passed away, my cousin, and now my son, my first son, if I didn't throw the towel in yet, nothing anybody could say. They talked about Jesus. They lied on him. Who am I? I tell people all the time, I'm not exempt from trials happening, and, and nobody is. So why I'm not going to throw the towel in. Yeah, yeah. Well, folks, there you have it. She just dropped an incredible sets of gems and jewels on you and any woman, any person for that who goes through any of those type of things. Ladies and gentlemen, it takes a lot of fortitude to keep going despite all that. I'm going to put all of Kristen's information, her website, her book, all this stuff in the description box. Make sure you go ahead and support her. And also, please go and check out her podcast. I promise you, it's like you're listening to a journal. That's all I'm going to tell you. And it's real. It's real and raw. So you're going to be able to check that out. I mean, I enjoy it. I listen to all the episodes. And she has a soft, sultry voice. Don't get caught up in it. Do not get caught up in the meditation voice. And you're like, mm, mm, mm. I'm going to go to sleep with this. Don't. Do not. So just, just listen. I need you to go ahead and check her out. Support her out there. All right. Miss Biggs, congratulations. You survived Boogie's Gym. And this round, this session is officially over. That goes out there in the world I need you to make sure that you wipe the blood Wipe the sweat, wipe the tears But whatever you do, don't throw me a towel This is your man Aunt Boogie I'll check you when I check you I'll see you when I see you Yo, Ahmad And some blessings